message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. What's up, Creekwood? How's everybody doing tonight? It's Saturday night and you're at church, so you should be doing great, right? We're doing great. Hey, listen, before we jump in today, I just want you to know whether you are 5 or 85, um, there's something happening. There's something for you and your family to plug into and to grow this summer with us at Creekwood. All right. I, listen, I know. I get it. Look, it's February. You're just looking forward to Wednesday because it's, it's Valentine's Day, guys, right? It's Valentine's Day, right, fellas? You've been reminded tonight, don't let it sneak up on you. Don't be the guy at Kroger at 6 o'clock on Wednesday with flowers and a card in your hand that you haven't even signed yet. Do it now. Do it now. Anyway, it's, Wednesday, it's February. Listen, I know you're not thinking about the summer, but now's the perfect time. All right, we've got kids' summer camps, students' summer camps. We've got missions trips. We've got serving opportunities. Man, we've got all kinds of things for the family to connect with and grow with. Man, don't miss out on the life happening here at Creekwood. We'd love for you to be a part of it. So obviously, um, I'm not Pastor Stephen. Uh, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm the student pastor here at Creekwood Church, and I'm super excited uh, to be here with you tonight because we're going to be wrapping up our series we've been in called U.0. U.0, becoming who God says that we already are. And tonight, we're going to have some fun tonight, if that's okay with you, um, because I like to have fun, all right? I like to speak to teenagers, and they like to have fun. So I know you're not a teenager anymore, but go ahead. Just revert back to that time in your life where everything was just fun and your parents paid for everything. Isn't that a great time? Come on, y'all. Let's go back there tonight. Let's have some fun. Um, No, but, man, I've enjoyed this series so much. Man, it's been an incredible series. This has been one of those home run series for me personally. We've been talking so much about really becoming who God has made us to be. And we partnered that with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and with that combination, God has been like just breaking me open. And he's, he's been really like showing me things about me that I can become better if I would just surrender it to him. And tonight we're going to jump into our, our, our text in, in, in Colossians. This is our This is our main text for this series is where we anchor ourselves. And tonight I want to look at Colossians because tonight we're going to kind of unpack and put some more of the puzzle pieces together with this series and really put a bow on it. So if you have your Bibles, let's jump into Colossians. If you don't, it's all good. It's going to be up on the screen. But Colossians chapter 3, Pastor Paul, um, one of the first century pastors, one of the greatest um, church planners of all time, he writes this letter to the church. And he writes this letter to the church, and in chapter 3, the beginning of this letter, Pastor Paul is preaching, y'all. He's preaching. You've been around, like, church where you've seen a pastor start to preach. He gets excited, and he starts to tell you all the good things. And at the beginning of this letter, Pastor Paul is preaching. I love it. Because he goes, in, he goes in, and he starts to tell you all the good things about this new life that we have in God. Man, the old self has been put to death, and we have this new life in Christ, man. Forget all the things that you once were, because this is who you are now. And he's getting excited, and I'm like, man, I love this guy. I can just feel it. I can see it. I can sense it when I read it, that Paul is passionate, and he's preaching. But then he gets to our, our, our main text for this, for this series, and, and in verse 9, he, he changes his tone just a slight bit, just a little bit. Changes it just a little bit. And after he goes on and tells us all the great things that we are and all the things that we're leaving behind, he's, he's excited and he's telling us about this new life that we have with Christ. He says this in verse 9. He says, but do not lie to each other 
since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Huh. He changes tone and he switches gears just a slight bit here. And as I was reading this and I was studying for this weekend, I, I really was, was, I was interested in this because I was, I was like, why would Paul, why would Pastor Paul, after all the good things that he just said, why would he, why would he change gears on me just a little bit? Why, why would he tell me all the good things and all the good news and all the, all the benefits that I'm going to have and then go, hey, but hold on a second, pause, let me caution you, don't lie, don't lie to each other, don't lie to each other. And it's interesting in this, in this part of the scripture that Paul introduces something that I hadn't seen before in this letter. Paul introduces in this, in this part of the scripture, he introduces to us this idea of each other. That there is something more to becoming who God says you already are. That this is not an individual effort. That you're not going to be able to get there on your own. That the, the road that you are traveling cannot be a solo mission. He introduces this, but then he also, when he says the word lie, to me he brings out the humanity in all of us. He brings out this thing in all of us that we have, that we have in common, that we share. There's something inside of all of us that is false. There's something inside of all of us that is an imaginary thing. So tonight, I want to kind of explore this together because one thing that I know about me and about you, is that we all, we all want to be known for something. Am I right? We do. We all want to be known for something. There's something inside of us. There's something in, in all of us. And there's something that describes us. There's adjectives that come to mind when you think about you. When you if you were to ask somebody, hey, what, what would you say that I am? What would you, what, how would you describe me? There are some adjectives that come to mind that you think of, and you're like, man, that's what I want people to say about me. That's what I want to be known for. And here's, here's what's cool about those, those adjectives. The adjectives that we think of, the adjectives that come to mind when we think of ourselves, those adjectives, they determine a lot about who we are, don't they? They determine what hurts us, what hurts our feelings, right? They determine what we spend our money on. They determine um, what we're passionate about. They determine what we build our lives around, and they really determine what we post on social media, don't they? Oh, man. <laughs> got to be careful, right? Got to be careful what we're putting out there. We, 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 we are really, really careful um, to figure out what's going on, what impacts us. And so tonight, here's where I kind of want to jump off. This is what I want to kind of wrestle with tonight. This question here, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Since I'm asking this question, um, I thought I would share first. I better be able to answer the question that I'm asking you. What What do I want to be known for? And so I started thinking about me, like what do I want to be known for? And this isn't any particular order. This isn't like a list of one, two, and three for me, but just to start it off, like I want to be known as the best. I do. I, I'm going to be really honest with you tonight, Creekwood. I want to be known as the best. And I, I know that sounds arrogant and that sounds, but listen, I'm just being really transparent with you. I want to be known as the best. And I always have, like, if you put me in a competitive environment, I love it. I do. 
Because I want to I win. I want to be the best. I, I wanna, if you play softball with me, there's some guys in here tonight. You play softball with me on Monday nights. I turn into a different person out there. I demand the best. I demand excellence. And if you don't measure up to that, I let you know that you don't measure up to it. Me and my wife joke about this because she's not super competitive. She's sweet. She's a good person. So we joke about, like, she's always like, babe, if, if, if it came down to it and you were team captain, you wouldn't pick me to be on your team. And I'm like, whoa, hang, hang on. And I'm like, you know, guys, we do this, right? No, no, babe. Whoa, hang on, babe. You're, you're number one. You're on my team, right? Because you want to win, don't you? And then my wife said this. This, is, this changed everything. She's like, well, I mean, I just want to have fun. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't be on my team. I, I don't want to just have fun. I want to win. Because I'm competitive. I want to be the best. I want to be known as the best, man. I want, I want to be the guy that you can count on. I want to be the guy that, that at anything that I do, like, I, want that, I want him on my team. I want to be known as the best. And so I've created adjectives around that. Created these adjectives around that, man. But I also, I, I want to be known as a good husband. I, I want to be known as a Christ follower. I, I want to be known as generous. I I want to be known as, as, a, as a great father one day. I don't have any kids yet, so not speaking that, but I'll, one day. There's these adjectives that describe us, and each one of us, whether you've thought about it a lot or not, that is a question that we've all wrestled with. What do we want to be known for? Well, let's dig a little bit tonight. Yeah, let's have some fun. Let's dig a little bit. What happens when we don't measure up? to these adjectives that we've created for ourselves. And, and even, let's go a little bit even further. What happens when you don't measure up to you? Well, I know what you do because you do what I do. You, you excuse, you mislead, you make, a, you, you make up some, some reason why. You, you imagine, you, you become imaginary and whether you meant to or not, whenever you pretend to be something on the outside, that you're not on the inside, we become imaginary people. Here's what's scary about that. It's really hard to have genuine relationships. It's really hard to be a genuine person. It's really hard to connect with somebody when you don't really know who you are. What do we do when we don't measure up? Here's the most devastating truth about this. The moment that we start pretending is the moment that we stop growing. Yeah, I I want to be this, but I'm not. So I pretend to be this, but I'm not. And so what happens is we get stuck in this cycle. We, we, We hit this wall. We get older, but we don't get better. The moment that we start pretending is the moment that we actually start growing. When we start managing our image, we manage our image. And the moment that we start to manage our image and become an imaginary person, we don't go any further. And to the degree that I project myself to be, And the reality of who I am, 
I create gaps in my life. Create these gaps. And in these gaps, all of us have them. That's where we feel the pressure the most to pretend. So we really feel like we've got to put on a show. We've got to be something that, that we're not. We, we've got to pretend. We've got to really, really pretend. We've got to, we've got to really um, figure out how we're going to fool people because the adjectives that we've created for ourselves and the person that we have in our mind that we want to be, we're not. And so we, ha- we feel this pressure to pretend. And man, don't we feel some pressure to pretend sometimes? And you know where we feel the most pressure to pretend? It's right here in church. Right here in church, Right? I mean, look at you guys. Look at us. Don't we look good tonight? I mean, you look good tonight, guys. Y'all look awesome. We look good when we come into church, don't we? You know why? We put on, we put on our Sunday best, right? Put on our weekend best, and we come in, and we're smiling, and we get greeted at the door, and someone says, hey, how are you doing today? And we smile back, and we say, we're doing great. How are you? Oh, man, life is awesome. I love life. But, but I, know, I know really well. I, I know really well. We pretend a whole lot in here. This is where we pretend the most because I grew up in church. I grew up in church. And I remember I, I was conditioned to pretend. I was conditioned to, to, to manage my image in this place. I was conditioned to do it because I remember I would get in the minivan on Sunday morning, me and my brother and my sister, and we would put on our Sunday best. We had, we had to wear slacks, y'all. Got to wear slacks. You got to wear a button-up and a tie. Okay, if you don't have a tie, you better put that jacket on because you better dress to the T's when you go to church, okay? So we were dressed up, and we were, we were in, in the van, and my mom was in the van, and me and my brother would start punching each other or flicking boogers at each other whatever we could do we're just getting on each other's nerves and my mom I remember a couple of times on the way to church my mom would pull the van over on the side of the road she would stop she would turn her head like only moms can do and she would yell at us and say if you guys don't stop it I'm gonna come back there and we knew we better stop it and so all the way to church, we're scared, and we're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, and we get into the parking lot, we pull into the spot, and my mom, she would turn around again, and she would go, now, you guys listen to me. You don't dry those eyes up. You don't put a smile on your face. So help me, God. And I used to think, God's going to help you? What? And I'm going into church going, God's going to help my mom kill me. This is scary. But at a young age, man, I was conditioned to manage my image. We would get into church dressed up. I remember one Sunday morning, I was a nosy kid running around in the foyer outside. There were four doors into the lower part of our auditorium in the church I grew up in. There were ushers that would stand at each door, and they would help people find seats, open the doors for them. They were really nice guys. And I remember there was, there was this guy that walked in, and I noticed him because I was a nosy kid, and he was different than everybody. He was an older gentleman. He was a bigger gentleman. He was wearing shorts and sandals. That's all I remember about what he was wearing. He was shorts and sandals. And I remember noticing his legs were bigger than anybody's legs I had ever seen before in my life. And his feet, they looked like Rudolph's nose. They were so red. And I was like, what is going on with that guy? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seven, eight-year-old kid just thinking, who is that guy? What is, what's going on? And I remember he strolled in, and he's having a hard time just even walking. And he got to the door, and I remember as he got to the door, one of the ushers greeted him. And the usher pulled him aside, and 
I was a nosy kid, and so I wanted to hear what the usher was about to tell him. And the usher said, hey, sir, so glad that you're here today. But the next time you show up to church, make sure that you're wearing slacks and some nice shoes. Because we, we, we show up with our Sunday best here. We give God our best. And I remember thinking, what? Don't you see? Don't you see his legs? Don't you see his feet? Like surely, like you're smart enough to put two and two together. But I used to think, what, what was wrong with him? Because then I grew, I grew up in church and I, I heard things like, hey, man, Jesus, he, he meets you where you're at. Come as you are. I mean, those are the kind of things that we, 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 we hear, but, but, but we're conditioned, aren't we? We're conditioned to manage our image, to pretend. We create this imaginary person and this imaginary reality. And what's really scary about that is as we pretend, what I've found to be true is that God can't bless who I pretend to be. He can't bless who I pretend to be. So we manage this image because, man, if people knew what I was really like, if they knew what was really going on, if, if I was honest with the greeter that asked me, how are you doing today? They would not like me if I told them what was really going on, right? We think that. Here's, here's, here's the scary reality of that. If people don't know who, what you're really like, they don't really like you. You've convinced them to like this imaginary version of you. You've managed your image. And until you embrace who and what you really are, you can't really get where you need to be. So here's the thing. We all want to be known for something. What we really need is to be known by someone. This is what I love about our God. This is what I love about Jesus is that, man, there are so many wants that we have in life. There are so many wants that you and I come to the Father with, but he's so good at separating what we want and what we need. And he's good, and he wants to give us good gifts. That's what the Bible says, that he's a good father, but, but he does not just give us what we want. What God is good at is giving us what we need. I mean, think about it. Go back to the very first the very, the very beginning in Genesis. Go back to Genesis for a second with me. The very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, God's creating the, the, the heavens and the earth and the, everything that we see here, and it's just him and it's just Adam. That's all there is. It's just him and just Adam. And he's hanging out and he's looking out, and, he, and, and God looks down and he says this. He said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helper who is right for him. The very beginning, God understood what we needed. He's able to separate what we want from what we need. And, and listen, church, it's so powerful when we understand this. It's, it's a powerful when you find an environment, when you find a circle, when you find a group of people where you can truly be who you are. And they truly have your best interest at heart. In fact, I would tell you this, you were, you were not only like, not only will you love this, you were made, you were created 
for an environment just like this. So we were designed to be a part of. We were designed to be known. We were designed to live life this way. Here's the shocker. The place where this kind of environment is supposed to exist, the place where this kind of relationship is supposed to happen is the church. It's the church. Not the not the big church. Not the, not the big church where we come in and we sit in rows and one guy is up here trying to encourage you. Not the big church. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about the real church. The people. Together. Not in rows, but in circles. In groups. Where we can really know and be known. Where we can let our walls down. We can really experience life the way that God meant for us to to experience it. The church is to be the primary environment where this kind of relationship, this kind of environment exists. Tonight, I want to convince you of that. The very first church in the very first century, the 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 very beginning of all of this with the very first pastor, He's actually the brother of Jesus. His name was James. This is how he describes the church and how we should exist. This is how you and I are supposed to inherit the kingdom here on earth. This is what he says. He says, James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is how... The the very first pastors, this is how the the brother of Jesus describes and tells us that this is how church should be. This is what this environment should be like, that you and I, we should confess our sins to each other. We should pray for each other. So here's what we're going to do tonight, church. Let's stand up. Let's find somebody you don't know. I want you to confess your sin to them. Confess your sin. And I would just pro tip, let them go first, all right? You don't want to go first. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Obviously, we're not going to do that. Calm down. Some of you are like, oh, panic attack. No, we're not going to do that. But this is what he says the church is supposed to be like. To confess our sins to each other. To pray for each other. And I know what you're thinking. Because I'm thinking the same thing. I don't want to confess my sin to you. No way. I'll confess it to God. I'm comfortable confessing it to God. Me and him. That's it. I don't want to confess my, I don't want anybody to know what I'm really up to. I don't, want any, I don't want anybody to know what's really happening in my life. I don't want to confess my sin to them. In reality, what we're really saying is, I don't want anyone to really know me. I don't want them to really know me. Confess my sin to them? No, no way. I don't want to be known. I don't, I don't want to be healed. If, if man, I, I, 21 days of prayer, I came in here, I wrote my stuff on the card. But that's personal stuff to me. Yet this is how, this is how, Jay, this is how the brother of Jesus describes the church. The, notice he didn't say they came in and they, they found a seat next to somebody that they don't know. And if it was too full, they scooted together to make room for other people. That's not what it said. No, it's this, it's this each other language, this one another, this life on life 
description of what the church is supposed to be like. They were known in church. There's something incredibly powerful in being known where you can come in and you can let your walls down and you can let the the imaginary you fall to the side and you can go, hey, I just want to be honest with you. My marriage is struggling. I want to be honest with you. I'm almost 30 and I'm still single and I'm scared. Hey, I want to be honest with you. I don't know how to raise my kids. They're freaking me out. So powerful when you can do that. And so, because what happens is a lot, of, a lot of times someone goes, hey, hey, me too. Hey, me too. Something incredibly powerful that happens when we're known. Another first century pastor, he said it this way. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, he said, let us consider How we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Man, let us consider how we can spur one another. Could you imagine if we did that in here? I mean, that's what they say the church is supposed to be. Let's, let's stand up. Let's spur one another on. You know, how, how superficial would that be if we, we decided to do that? Let's just stand up, turn to somebody, spur them on. Hey, bud, good job. Hey, friend. Go get them. No, we, we, we barely know people's names anymore. It would be so hard to spur, spur one another on in this environment. Listen, there are some things the body of Christ was designed and created to experience that cannot happen in rows. It can't happen in the big church, the way that we see, the way that we're known, the way that we've been conditioned to be a part of this body. Listen, it's not a one person stands up here and tries to spur you on. No, it's one another. Let us consider how one another, encouraging one another, this is a one-on-one, person-on-person, life-on-life kind of relationship. Pastor Paul, he brings up the rear of this argument. Pastor Paul And Galatians jumps in again, and he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. I mean, think about that for a second, church. I mean, Paul says that we are to to go out. I mean, that's the language that he uses. We're to go out and catch people in sin. (laughs) Ha ha, I got you. I found you. Oop. Oh, got you again. We're to go out and catch people in sin. That's weird. It's weird, but you know what? Don't we kind of like that? Don't we kind of enjoy that? That's been my experience with people. That's been my experience in my life because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel better about the image that I'm trying to protect. Oh, man, guys, this, is, this right here is student ministry 101. We're so good as the church at pointing out other people's flaws, at their, their mistakes, catching them in the sin, and we're so good at it. And listen, in student ministry right now, in this world that, that we live in, this is, this is hitting us hard right now. 
We got teenagers that walk in our doors every single Wednesday night and they're confused and they're scared and they don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. They don't know who to like. They don't know what to feel. And they've got all kinds of different opinions coming at them. And we're so good at telling them, whoa, you're in sin. Whoa, you're, you're, whoa you, you, you like the same sex? What's wrong with you? What, you're disgusting. Get out of here until you can come back, until you can be normal, until you can learn to manage that image. But we forget the second part of what Pastor Paul tells us. It breaks my heart. Shame on us if the church pushes people away from the God who died to love them. Look what he says, though. We go out, we we catch them in sin, but then he says, as those who live by the Spirit should restore them gently what does that mean? It means you got to know them. You're going to have to have a relationship with them. If you're a Christ follower, this is the way that Jesus did it. You think about the woman he met at the well and all the stuff that she was going through. Jesus didn't just like push her away. No, man, he, he got to know her. He restored her gently. That's the kind. It's not public. This is a one-on-one kind of thing, but we're so scared to experience this kind of life and this kind of love and this kind of church. He says, but watch yourselves. For you may also be tempted. And then verse two, he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. How am I gonna carry your burden if I don't know your burden? How can I share the weight if you don't let me carry some of that? Notice what he he says, though, because then he says, and in this way, in other words, if we will carry each other's burdens in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, we had 10 commandments, and then God sent his son Jesus, and he boiled it down to two, and then Jesus returned to the Father, and he gave us the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? This is the law of Christ, to love other people the way that God, through Christ, has loved you. That's the law of Christ. That's everything that we do, everything that we do as Christians. This relationship is built around this law right here. Paul says this in Romans 15, 7, then accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, do you know why Christ accepted you as you are? You know why Christ accepted you right where you're at? Not to leave you there but to transform you into the person he created you to be, to become who God says you already are, to become who God says you are. Man, he did, not, he did not find you. He did not die for you. He did not give his only son for you to leave you where you're at. That's the beauty of the gospel. Listen, if you've never heard the gospel, if you're confused about the gospel, this is it right here. Jesus loves you enough to meet you where you're at, but he also loves you enough not to leave you there. He's got somewhere that you're going. That's the good news. That's why we should be excited. That's why we smile. That's why we worship. That's why we give our lives and our time and our money because we're like, God, I, that's something I can live for. That's it. And church, do you know, you know, that's where, right there, that's where we experience God's transformational, unconditional acceptance. And do you know where you can best experience God's transformational, unconditional acceptance? Around people 
who are experiencing God's transformational, unconditional acceptance. The best way to be transformed is to be around people who are being transformed. That's it. This is it. This is the church. This is what we do. It's not in here. And listen, I love in here. I make a living in here. This is, I love this right here. I love church, man. I, I grew up in church. I believe in church. I believe that this is a huge part of who we are and how, how we get to where we need to go. But I also understand that if I'm going to become who God says I already am, there is more to this. This is what Paul was talking about in the very beginning when he said, don't lie to each other. There's a relationship that we need. There's something that we know, man, we all want to be known for something, but we need to be known by someone. That's the church. That's what the church is. So that's why you need. That's why I need. That's why we need a life group. That's why we need a life group. You say, yeah, but Matt, I'm too busy for life group. I don't have time for life group. You don't know my, you don't know my schedule, man. I got 14 kids. We had to buy a 15-passenger van this year. I don't got time, man. It's crazy out there. I know, you, I know you're busy. We make time for what we want to make time for. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. You can't be too busy for this. Yeah, but Matt, I, I'm, I'm not good around new people. I get awkward really fast. Like, it's not fun to be around me. I say things and people are like, what? This is weird. That's the weird girl over there. Don't go by her. I get that. We have introverted people. It's hard to connect. It's hard to have a conversation, especially in a world where we're so good at commenting. But here's what I also know. The best things in life cost us the most. If you're going to step into your future, if you're going to step into your destiny, you're going to have to walk away from your security. It's part of it. Say, yeah, but Matt, I don't don't like people. Listen, hey, that's a reality. But listen, we've got a life group for that. There's a life group of people who don't like people. You get together and you do life together. It's awesome. It's amazing. So fun. I don't like change. Man, there's a thousand different excuses. There's a thousand different reasons we could give. In fact, if you run out of them, you can download an app. There's an app for it. It's called Excuses, Pocket Excuses. I, I looked it up. Just get it up on there. You get an excuse right there for you. We, we can come up with a thousand excuses. Listen, though. The imaginary you may not have time, may not like people, may not like change. Imaginary you may not benefit from this, but the real you may be dying for this. Your marriage may be dying, or may be dying for the lack of this. May be dying. You may, be, you may be experiencing life. You may have been coming to church for a while. And you, you're, you're hearing the good news. And you're, you're, you're starting to experience some of the forgiveness of God. But there are still some things that you're just having a hard time, man. You've been sleeping on the couch for two months because the thought of you and your wife touching feet at the end of the bed. You're so angry at each other that you're like, I can't do it. 
and you don't know why, you don't know how you're going to get past it. You got teenagers and they're going off in a thousand different directions and you're like, what are we doing wrong? I don't understand. Our whole lives, we've been, we've been trying to, to mold them and shape them and give them everything that they need to go this way, and they're going that way. I don't get it. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are broken. Some of you are struggling with addiction that you cannot shake for the life of you, and you've done everything. You've thrown every dollar at it, and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. We all want to be known for something. What we need is to be known by someone. You've got a lot of friends, but no one really knows you. There's, there's power. There's power in being known. There's power. And listen, I, man, I, I get it, guys. I get it. Because culture says, no, 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 hide behind it. Manage the image. Manage the image. Protect it. Protect it. Put on your Sunday best. Keep up with the Joneses, man. I get it. The culture says that. But Jesus, Jesus says, come out. Come out. Not in front of everyone. Not in public. Because you'll face the criticism that you know you'll face. But come out. In my body, in my family, in my church, safe place, experience life the way it was meant to live. We need this. We need this. We were made for this. This is who we are. And if we will get real, God will become more real to us than we could have ever Imagine. You know why? Because my transparency, another word for transparency is humility. My transparency is an invitation to my heavenly father to show up in an unimaginable real way. It's hard to know who you really are. It's hard to become who God says you already are if no one really knows you. That's why I pray that today, this weekend, as you walk out those doors, you get a cupcake and a Rice Krispie treat for the road. And you see these life group directories on your seats. You wouldn't just leave. You wouldn't just walk out. You would talk to somebody. You would join a life group. You would try it out. And listen, maybe the first one that you try is not the one for you. Maybe you get into the group where they don't like people. And you're like, I like people. That's okay. There's a lot of groups. Join another one. Join another one. Don't stop until you find your circle. Church does not happen in rows. Church happens in groups. This is why we do this. That's why from the beginning of Creekwood Church, we made a decision that this was how we were going to do church. It's not the big church. It's the real church. We all want to be known for something. We need to be known by someone. This is how the church really begins to act like the church. Will you pray with me?
God, I thank you. I thank you for the, the first century pastors, for their lives and their sacrifice. I thank you for your word that even in the middle of 2018, that this book full of wisdom and truth written so long ago still, still shows us the way. God, I thank you for people because it's through people that we really find you. So God, I just pray for all of us in here tonight. Pray for your church. That we would leave our stubbornness at the door, that we would forget about managing our image. God, we would step into a genuine, authentic life. We're fully known, fully accepted. God, I pray for life groups this semester, that we would experience life in an unimaginable and real way. We thank you for using the church this way. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.